Pastor John is sick. Jonathan and Travis are up working with the youth, so guess what you get stuck with? <laughs> the, the, the guy that causes all the, the feedback there. So Now remember, you're, you're in the church, so you have to be honest when I ask you this question. Okay? How many, especially those that have been here for a while, are asking this question? Who the heck is that guy and why is he up there? Come on. <laughs> Raise your hand, come on, because you know, you, you've seen probably Tina and I walking around, and by the way, Tina's my wife, um, and all that, but you know, what, what's he doing up here? Well, before I answer that, I've got to ask you another question. Have you ever had a morning that started off different than any other morning ever? I was lying in bed, Tina had already gotten up, she and our dog had gone out, and she was having coffee, she was relaxing, and I was just lying in bed enjoying, not sleeping, honest, I was not sleeping, relaxing, and actually having a little time with God, and I hear my cell phone go off. It was out in the living room, so Tina brings it in, and I get this text. Would you happen to have a sermon in your back pocket, would you? (laughs) Now, that wouldn't be so bad, but... We've been here about eight months, and I've talked to Pastor John a lot through emails, but I don't have a cell phone number. (laughs) So I'm lying in bed going, Lord, (laughs) is this you asking me? (laughs) I haven't preached for a while, so are you saying, you know, are are you staying up on it? So I said, possibly. Who is this? I don't recognize the number. (laughs) And it says, John Rittenhouse. I'll give you a call if that's okay. And as they say, the rest is history. And that's how you got stuck with me this morning. And again, now then to answer a little bit of that question, I am Keith Parmley. Um, My wife, Tina. Tina, raise your hand there so you know who the the better part of this, this couple is. Uh, We've been attending here at Living Spring for about eight months. But prior to that, for myself, for about the last 18, 19 years, Tina, for the last, because she started when she was four years old, had been part of the Church of the Nazarene, which is really one of your sister denominations. And I have pastored in the past two uh, other churches. I've done, pastored once in uh, Monterey Park, and then in Buena Park, And then prior to coming here, we were helping out a church in Huntington Beach. So I have done this a few times. And it's actually, as I'll explain in my message a little bit, a little bit of my midlife crisis. Now, I'll let you know a little bit about us, because otherwise we'd be here probably till dinner time. Uh, Tina and I have been married for, I hope I get this right, a little over 11 years. But, um, and this is my second marriage, her first. I was married previous to that to a wonderful lady named Debbie for about 24, 25 years. Uh, She passed about 12, 13 years ago to cancer. She and Tina had been friends and all that. So from Debbie and I, and now with Tina, we have a son who will soon turn 34. (sighs) John may be the senior pastor here, but I'm the old dude pastor. (laughs) And so we are blessed. We live in Cyprus. Tina has worked for the city of Long Beach for 32 years, was it? 30 plus years. She worked in the 
department called GIS, Geographic Information Systems. So anything you want to know about the city of Long Beach and anything you didn't want to know about the city of Long Beach, she can tell you. And so that's, that's just us in a nutshell. So we're hoping that over the months, the years, and all that we're here, that uh, you will get to know us a little bit more. Um, been with, like I said, the Nazarene Church for about 18, 19 years. But also during that, I'm with an organization called Marketplace Ministries. And so for the last 10 years, while I was also pastoring, I've also had this privilege of going out to companies, and I get to bring Christ to them. And so it's kind of like the concept of a military chaplain or a hospital chaplain, but instead of those environments, I go out to the work field, which is, I'll explain a little bit later, uh, part of what my past life was like. And so God's done this great thing for me of allowing me to blend two things and just to bring people. Because one of the things that we've really kind of attached to here at Living Spring, we love what Pastor John has been doing. It's not so much about really what goes on here Sunday morning, but it's what you do outside this church. And so many people I'm learning today don't want to come to church. So this is a great opportunity to go bring Christ to them. And so I've been having a wonderful thing with that. Uh, throughout the month, I've got each month, I've got about 10 com companies that I call on. Some I see once a week, some I see every other week. And we talk about things, uh, do you think the Dodgers should have won that seventh game? You know, some of these important things. But then we also, that transitions then into talking about important things in life, challenges. And it, it's, it allows me to bring Christ to places that he's not normally invited into. For those of you that work in secular jobs, a lot of times, you know, Christ is not allowed to be talked about. But I, I get the privilege of that. And so if you could keep that in prayer, I'd love it. But, you know, Tina and I are excited about being here at Living Spring. And we're excited that we feel that God has kind of called us as our, our new home. And we're looking forward to getting to know you guys. We're part of the, the group that meets over Larry and Joyce's once a month. And so we're, we're getting to know people. We're looking forward to building these friendships. But what's really been fun is getting to know Pastor John. You have a very unique pastor here. <laughs> and I don't know if this should comfort or frighten you in any way, but it sounds like he and I have had many things in common Except, thank God for Jeremy, except for this Patriots thing. Because <laughs> I got to admit, being a holiness pastor and preacher, I have a commitment to excellence, right? <laughs> thank you, brother. Sorry, John. <laughs> and while I, I do believe that he's sick, I heard him talk on the phone this morning. I just wonder if he was a little celebrating too much last night about that win. <laughs> I'd hate to know what he's going to be like if they make it again to the Super Bowl. And, but, you know, I haven't heard his whole story, but it sounds like he and I have had some of the same midlife crisis. We both became pastors. I've heard that John started off in business, and then God kind of interrupted your guys' plans. I see Lisa going. <laughs> and all that. And now, when I say crisis, I don't mean anything terrible happened to me. I don't know what happened with John. But I do mean that I had to begin to make a decision. To me, that's what that word crisis means. That 
a very critical decision has to be made and I can no longer put it off. Because see, in my early 20s, way back then, a whole century ago, <laughs> I was very lucky. I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I had it all figured out. I had it all laid out before me. I was going to be a businessman, and specifically, I was going to be a music store owner. And I, notice I put the emphasis there on I, I made it happen. And by the time I was 32, I owned my own, and I was very successful at it, I had my own music store. Actually, it was just over in Los Alamitos. I had my dream, and I thought things were going to be awesome. Everything was laid out for me. But that is where my crisis began. Because really, once I got it, I had everything going, I started to realize I hated it. Because I was the busiest, and it was the most stressful time of my life. Unfortunately, I was a Christian at the time. I don't know how I could have made it through it. And I was involved in the leadership at the church that I was at, and my family was attending. But I couldn't figure out exactly what I wanted and, and why. You know, I got it, and, but how come I'm not enjoying it? You would think I would be loving it. And that's when God began to speak to me and started to point out to me that I have options in my life. I have choices. And it wasn't simply that I could choose another type of work. My options were that I could either continue doing the things I wanted to do, or I could start doing what God wanted me to do. And Man, does that ever mess you up? Now, I had convinced myself real well that, that owning my own business was what God had intended for me because all the doors opened up. I had many, many reasons to believe why this was true, except I could not say that I had ever spent time with God alone, talking with him, discussing this, dreaming with him, and asking the question, is this what you want for me? I've got this, but is this what you really wanted for me? You see, we need to realize that God loves us so much that he wants the best for each and every person. Amen? And if you take nothing from this time that I share with you this morning, please, please make sure you understand this. God loves you and wants you to have the best. Okay? And also, the Bible's very clear in telling us about this, but he also has this one great description for God. God is a jealous God. It says that numerous times in the Old and New Testament. Now, when I say God is jealous, I don't mean, you know, he's this kind of emotional, starry-eyed puppy dog, you know, wanting type thing, you know, this lovesick thing that uh, gets sad when he can't have what he wants and mopes and all that. I mean, God loves you so much that he wants you to have the best. And he is the best. And his jealousy is that something less than will begin to influence and lead your life. And I need to tell you, there are other gods 
trying to influence you, which is why he says, you shall have no other gods but me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, these other gods, you know, you wonder what they might be, but they can be the god of money. They can be the god of possessions. You know, you think you might possess them, but they possess you. They could be the, 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 the god of position. Some people, you know, they attain a position in their job and it's never good enough. They need to keep going and going and going. It could be the god of lust. And there are so many other gods out there. But these other gods are anything, you know, the description of these gods is anything that takes control and influence and importance in your life. There are things, whether you know it or not, that can become your God. But God loves you so much, and he wants the best for you, and he knows that there is nothing better than him. So he doesn't want you to have less than. He doesn't want you to have second best. Or he doesn't want you to have something that's just good enough. He wants you to have the best. What you need to realize is, that no one can love you like God. I love Tina dearly, and I feel blessed to have her in my life. But I realize that no one loves God, loves her better than God does. So I learned from God how to love her. No one can care for your life like God can. So if you want to learn what to do with your life, learn from God. No one can teach you better than God can. No one can teach you how to be a better husband, better wife, better son, daughter, worker, boss, you name it. No one can teach you better. And no one can provide for you better. So my crisis was really this. Do I want to continue doing things my way, the way my friends and and society around me was saying was good, good enough, best? Or do I want to do things God's way? Thankfully, I guess because I'm standing here, I chose the second one. You know? Because if I hadn't, who knows where my life would have been? Who knows if I really would be having the best? Well, there's a great story in the Bible, and I need to let you know. Um, I got my master's, same place John got his, got it through Azusa. He and I had something, same instructors. I don't know, did he have Dr. Hartley? Okay, I didn't know whether, that was the name you would have, if he, if he had John Hartley, you would have known him having it. This instructor was the greatest Old Testament instructor I've ever met. If you were eager to learn He was eager to teach you. But I learned, fortunately, from somebody else, you tried to bluff him, you just said, kill me now. (laughs) So Dr. Hartley, John Hartley, uh, gave me this great love for the Old Testament. I love the stories that are in the Old Testament. They, they, They are just so rich about teaching us about God. And so I want to share with you this morning... One that a story I love, I I think I've probably preached it at every church I've either been at or asked to preach at. And it's the story in the time of the life of Elijah. You're familiar with him. He's one of the prophets, one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. 
And in 1 Kings, they tell, tell a lot about him. But I think in this story, it talks a lot about that topic we're talking about today, about this having to make this choice, because the people of Israel were, were faced with a similar crisis. They had to make a decision. It's totally a different context, but their decision-making question before them was, am I going to do things the popular and more accepted way of the world or God's way? Which option am I going to choose? And I believe that's an option that we all face today. Even when we become Christians, we get stuck with this option. We get it put before us at various times in our life. Because, first of all, you need to realize that just because you become a Christian does not mean that all the problems go away. If anyone has sold you that, run away from that leader. <laughs> it's almost like once you become a Christian, you, you, you get this little target drawn on your back. Because Satan's going, oh man, you made a commitment. I need to, to get you away from that. And sometimes it's challenging to have to decide between what we want to do and what God wants us to do because you know, Satan, you know, I hate to say this, having been a salesman, but he's the greatest salesman around. He can get you to buy something that you don't really need or want. And he knows how to do that. Well, this morning I want us to look back at the story, and unfortunately I didn't get time to, to put it up there for you, so you're going to have to listen to me reading it. And we're going to look at a story involving, you know, Elijah, and the other characters are, are King Ahab, who is one of Israel's worst kings. And he had a wife who was even more wicked than him. And we're going to also be talking about a few of Ahab's followers. And, you know, before we like it, you need to know that, you know, being a prophet for God was not a very popular job. Not too many people said, ooh, I want to be a prophet for God. I want to be a prophet for God. Usually those were the false prophets that was leading Israel astray. But the true prophets were not that popular because... Many times they had to come and bring a message from God to the people. And generally it was because God's not too happy. God's concerned about something or he's warning them. But the true prophet of God was one that was chosen by God. And he had to do what he knew God asked him to do. And most people didn't enjoy hearing from prophets. Well, Elijah, he's, he's speaking kind of unfavorably about King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. And so the only thing you can do with a prophet that tells things that you don't like is you need to get rid of him, right? So this guy needs to die. And so Ahab, I mean, uh, Elijah has been out running. He's been hiding. And he's been wrestling with things. But Elijah knew that from God it was time that Ahab and these false prophets they had, and the people of Israel needed to be confronted. So he comes out of hiding, and he makes his presence known to King Ahab, and he sets up this meeting, and this is where we're picking up the story now. We're in, if you've got your Bible, iPad, iPhone, whatever, we're in 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm going to start at verse 17. When he, meaning King Ahab, Saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, 
but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now some of the people over, excuse me, some of the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people, <coughs> excuse me, and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. We're just going to pause there for a second. I'll, I'll pick it back up. Elijah, he's confronting this loud, large crowd of people with a single question. Who is your true God? Who is the real one in your life? Who are you going to worship and follow? And you would think that this would be a simple question to answer. Is it Baal and his many supporting gods? Or is it going to be Yahweh? It's either choice A or choice B. Which is it going to be? It's not like there's a multitude of them where you've got to kind of scratch your head and think about it. But the author simply says, the people said nothing. They couldn't come up with an answer. You know, we don't even read in here about them taking a debate. You know, they're not going off on the committees and all that saying, well, let's, you know, should we go with this one? Should we go with that one? Should we believe this one? Should we believe that one? You know, they don't even do the old thing of, okay, let's take out a, you know, uh, legal pad, you know, draw a line down it, do the pros and cons and all that, whichever one adds up the most. You know, they, they don't even take a congregational vote. Nothing is decided. It just says they say nothing. You wonder why, you know, how come no one's speaking up? And I believe that the reason that this is so difficult for them to answer is because they didn't want to give up either one of them. They liked having it all. They liked having the perceived benefits of having both Baal and Yahweh. You know, they just didn't want to have their, their cake and eat it too. You know, as that old saying goes, they wanted to have their cake, the ice cream, the, the chocolate frosting, all that other stuff. They wanted to be able to eat that with the pie, and the best part was not gain a pound. They wanted it all. They wanted the best of everything. And so the, but the question becomes, are we really totally different today? Have you seen someone around you that really wants the best of everything? Because, you know, following Baal was the popular choice of that surrounding culture. The king is improving, and the king's wife, who really ran the castle, she really was endorsing this. And, you know, Queen Jezebel had put Baal as the, the nation's god and built these elaborate altars and places to go to worship. So, you know, the old saying is, you know, it could have been a bad career choice to go against it. This was completely sanctioned by Israel's government, which meant it was advantageous for you to follow Baal. You never want to go against what's culturally acceptable, right? We ever get any of those tensions today in the world? We ever have any of those struggles? 
But the problem really was Israel knew and they had remembered and they had heard these stories that they were God's, Yahweh's chosen people. Selected personally by Yahweh to be this light, to be this example out in the world. And to make things worse, Israel, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, had pledged themselves to be loyal to Yahweh. One of Israel's key commandments, which Israel agreed to, was, you will have no other gods before me. Yes, we agreed to that. Okay. And there's this prayer that every Jewish man prays every morning. It's called the Shema. And it says here, O Israel, the Lord your God is many? No, it says the Lord your God is one. And the surrounding nations knew of the reputation that Israel had of being God's chosen. And that this God not only fought battles for Israel, but Israel was victorious. If you really study the, the whole thing of the Exodus, other than Moses lifting up the, the staff, the rod, they don't lift a finger. God does it all for them. So there was a certain prestige that came with being God's chosen people. And Israel didn't want to lose that prestige. They didn't want to lose that special feeling. That is why when they were confronted with the task, this, this crisis, that having to choose between which God were they going to be their God, they kept quiet. They didn't know what they wanted to give up. Because it does come with a price. You have to give up something. And I believe today people, even people attending a church, are faced with that same type of challenge. And they have that same type of crisis, that decision that they have to make in their lives today. They like calling themselves Christian. They, they, they like being associated and known to be a part of the church but they kind of enjoy some of the privileges that the world brings to them. You know, a person may enjoy having the title Christian, but they kind of also like using whatever language, and I don't mean foreign language they would like to use. Or a person may enjoy calling themselves a Christian, but also enjoys joining with others as they kind of meet at work or within the neighborhood. Um... Discussing other people? Shall we say we won't want to use that gossip word? You know, because Christians have this way of coloring or changing that gossiping real well by, by prefacing, by saying, you know, Pat, we need to be praying for so-and-so because, and you fill in all these things that really don't need to be shared when you're praying about somebody. You don't need that when you need... Lift them up. A person may love being seen in church each Sunday or being part of things and giving enormously. You know, they want to be known as one of the biggest donators to a church. Knowing that people don't know really what goes on in their lives Monday through Saturday and how they're giving into addictions or anger or whatever other secret little demons they might be battling. 
Many people are under the control of the God of isolation or individualism. God created us to be a people who need and need to help each other. We need it. I love the fact that Pastor John's been talking up here at times that, you know, we can't be lone ranger Christians. That's why I'm excited about these small groups that are starting up. They're going to do so much in ours, spiritual growth. And we could go on for a long time talking about this crisis of duality that many people face, not wanting to make a choice because of the potential losses or the consequences. But if you remember the fact that God loves you so much and he wants the best for you, the choice really is not a choice. Almost the question becomes is, how quickly can I get committed to that and away from the other? Wouldn't you want to follow the one who has unconditional love for you and who really only wants the best from you? I can tell you that is not what Satan wants to have for you. And wouldn't you want to follow the one who says that if you're truly sorry for what you've done, not sorry that you got caught, but sorry for what you've done, that God will never bring it up again? Never talk about it rather than one who constantly kind of whispers in your mind, hey, do you remember that time, Keith, that you did this? Now, there is a God of guilt that loves to play on our souls. To me, that choice becomes no choice. Well, as I say, let's hear the, the, the rest of the story. We're at verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood. But do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Yeah, let's go with that one. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. This is where the story gets fun. I love it. Especially if you've got imagination. Play it out with me here. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us! They shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they made. At noon, that's where I really love Elijah, began to taunt them, shout louder. He said, surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or busy. There's some versions that think he said, maybe he's in the bathroom busy. Or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and, and must be awakened. 
So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down from the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord is God. There's a lot, you know, that we could be pointing out and talking about in the story, but I want to focus just on, on one thing for us this morning. In the first half of the story, we saw that the people had no way of answering the challenge of Elijah, or the, story, the challenge that Elijah had put before them. You know, they couldn't come up with the answer. Is it going to be Baal or is it going to be Yahweh? But now in this part of the story, Elijah gives them the means, the only sensible way of figuring out how to figure out which God to follow. And I believe that's the same thing for us today. It's in verse 24 where it says, then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Whichever God can truly do the job anytime, every time, that should be the one and only God. You see, the world has mostly this, this polytheistic thought that has gone throughout the ages. And most cultures have had this whole idea of, of multiple gods to handle all these multiple situations. You know, you've got your god of war, you've got your god of fertility, god of peace, you've got your god of finding a parking place in the, the uh, mall, you've got your god of making sure you have enough finances in your checkbook at the end, all that you have this problem, this need in your life, so you would go out and create a God to do that. When God was wanting us to truly know there is only one God that can handle any and everything within your life. You don't need a backup. You don't need a secondary. When you call on the name of your God, 
and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. The God who answers, the God who responds, the God who takes action. He is God. And I believe that's truly what people are looking for today. They're looking for the God that answers. Thank you. So many people today, and again, it could be some people that go to church. People today settle for the God who makes them feel good. For the moment. But they really aren't looking for the God that's going to be there for the long haul, for this eternity thing. Or some people who want a God that will give them the answers they want. Or the ones that will make them feel good. Or the ones that are not going to stretch them or take them out of their comfort zone. Or the God that's going to make them give up their music store. Or make them change anything in their life that they've gotten very comfortable with. You see, sometimes the answer, and I truly believe that God answers everything that you bring before him. Everything. It may not be the answer you want. I remember as a kid, I would go up to my mom or dad and say, can I go do this? And I always got an answer. It may not have been the one that said, yes, I could do this, but they gave me an answer. So God always gives an answer. Sometimes it might be, you and I need to talk a little bit. But he gives us. But we want a God that's going to give us the answers that we have already come up with that will make life easy. People want, like I said, that quick fix, an answer that's going to make them feel good. It's not going to take them out of their comfort zone. They're looking for answers to problems, not realizing that what they are trusting in probably is causing the problem and cannot really provide a true answer. Just like the God in our stories, the gods people today look at do nothing but disappoint. And they make you look foolish. So what does this story have to mean for us today? I I believe it's so much. Because we live in a world, in a nation, in a city that is just as polytheistic, meaning lots of gods, just like Elijah lived in. And we have so many options, options that are just as difficult to make. And these are not simple, passive options. Some of them are very aggressive and very deceitful. And these various gods, they're competing. And they're very compelling so that you and I will choose it and worship this God. And allow this God to control and influence your life. I truly believe that even a so-called atheist has a God. Something that does influence and direct his or his or her life. It might be money. It might be possessions. It might be fame. It might be a type of addiction. It might be an anger, lust. You could fill in the blank. 
But there is something everyone leads their life for. We have to make sure that we have chosen who will be God. Because if you don't, a false God will choose you. But listen to what one of Jesus' friends, this guy named Peter, who used to hang out with Jesus, says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I believe he's also talking to the people here at Living Spring. That you may declare the praises of him who, are called, who have called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you.